Man of Scream. In the Great Hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 90 of the Man of Screen podcast. I'm back, it's been a nice long break, and I am back to begin the next leg of the Man of Screen podcast. And this one's going to take a while, as I'm going to begin here with this episode, episode 90, my coverage of Super Friends. The famous animated cartoon, which had many incarnations over its eight-season run, and has also had many formats over uh, the span of that time. And I'm going to uh, get into that in a couple minutes here. But this is a portion of the show that I've been looking forward to since the day I started this podcast. Like many of you who are of my generation, I am 37 years old. I grew up with this cartoon. This cartoon formed the basis of my superhero fandom and probably what made me pretty much a DC Comics boy growing up. I mean, for me, it all it always started with Superman, but this is the show that got me hooked on the DC Universe. Not so much the earlier episodes, which aired in the 70s. I was uh, born in 1980, so most of my memories are of the uh, later incarnations of the show, which, uh, which aired in the uh, mid-80s, and... There's only really, looking back, there's only one episode that I really remember. And we're not going to get to that for some time. The only episode of this show that I really remember is from the uh, Galactic Guardians incarnation of the show, which was the 1985 season, and that's the Death of Superman episode. Looking back, that is the only episode I really remember off the top of my head. And I haven't seen many of these episodes since I saw them as a kid. So this is going to be an interesting journey for me, going back and re-watching, and probably for a lot of these episodes, watching for the first time. It might be like I'm watching them for the first time because I haven't seen these in so long. It's going to be interesting to uh, rediscover the show as I'm going through this for the podcast. And I'll be talking uh, a lot about that process as I go through these episodes. And uh, also I want to address uh, some other uh, Superman productions that will uh, overlap with my coverage of Super Friends. I guess if I covered the uh, Superman appearance on the Brady Kids, which was produced by Filmation, then I guess I'm going to have to put myself through the TV version of uh, Up, Up, and Up, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. I'll have to find myself a copy of that somehow. I'm not necessarily looking forward to that, but them's the breaks, I guess. But I also want to point out that the run of Super Friends will also overlap with... The Christopher Reeve Superman movies, and that's something else that I'm really looking forward to getting to, as they've also, you know, really cemented my Superman fandom. And I am not going to wait until I'm done covering Super Friends to get to those movies. I am going, and I'm not going to cover them in a row. I'm not going to have a Christopher Reeve month, so to speak. I'm going to cover them when I reach them in the chronology. So, after the... Uh, at some point in the 1978 season, there'll be coverage of Superman the movie, and I will cover the remaining Superman films where they fall. And that's going to go pretty much with any Superman film. That I'm going to cover it when I get to the time in which it was released. I'm not going to wait until I'm done with the series. As I sit right now, looking forward, the only time that I'm not going to cover in chronological order, and maybe I'll change my mind on this as I get to that point, I'm, but I don't think I will. I'm not going to overlap television series. For instance, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and Superman the Animated Series overlapped by about a year, I want to say. My plan is to cover Lois and Clark in its entirety, and then go back and cover Superman the Animated Series. So those episodes are in uh, 
a nice block and easy to digest. I don't necessarily want to uh, do an episode that has one Lois and Clark episode and one animated series episode. I just feel as though that would, you know, disrupt the rhythm of the show. But that's a long way off. So long, so long way, such a long way off. I'm not even sure it was really worth mentioning now, but I mentioned it anyway. I guess you can tell I'm excited about getting to uh, content that I remember watching in first run. That's going to be real exciting for me. Everything else, you know, I had memories of, I had little memory of Filmation, of the Filmation cartoons when I was a kid. I did have memories as a kid of the George Reeves episodes, but still, I never watched them in first run. So, like I said, it's going to be real exciting to get the stuff that, you know, I can say that I was there on the ground floor when it came out. So, let's move on to Super Friends. As many of you know, Super Friends was an animated television series about the Justice League, which ran from 1973 to 1986 on ABC as part of a Saturday morning cartoon lineup. While the previous DC properties were produced by Filmation, this was produced by Hanna-Barbera, you know, the company that brought us such notables as the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Scooby-Doo, and a bunch of other characters that I'm sure you remember. Now, we can look back on this show and basically call it the Super Friends, but it had many incarnations over the years. In total, there were 109 episodes and two backdoor pilot episodes of the new Scooby-Doo movies with Batman and Robin appearing in the uh, dynamic Scooby-Doo affair and the Cape Crusader caper. Those are nine episodes that I'm going to look a great deal at. You know, my focus is going to be on Superman for the most part, but I am going, going to cover all of the main Super Friends episodes. I mean, we're going to get to, I believe... One of, we're going to get to one of the future seasons where there's going to be episodes that feature other characters. I might talk about them a little bit, but I'm always going to talk about the main episodes that Superman is in. So, like I said, over the years, the show existed. You know, every season pretty much had a different name. The uh, 1973 to 74 season, which I'm going to call season one, that was just Super Friends. And this season is... Quite a change from previous cartoons that I've covered. The Filmation cartoons were basically, you know, seven-minute shorts. The Superman shorts were 14 minutes, two seven-minute episodes in the third season. But the first season of Super Friends was basically an hour cartoon. So on this episode, I'm going to be covering two, basically, without commercials, 43-minute cartoons. That Those are long cartoons, folks, and I'm going to talk about that later. Then the show took a three-year hiatus, so to speak. We came back in 1977-78 with the all-new Super Friends Hour. Season 3 was t- in the 78-79 season was known as Challenge of the Super Friends. Season 4 from 79-80 to 80 was the world's greatest Super Friends. 1980-1983 seasons were just called Super Friends again. The, 19- the show was called in the 1984 season to 1984-85 season Super Friends, the Legendary Superpowers Show. And the final season from 1985 to 1986 was known as the Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians. So this show came about after Hanna-Barbera acquired the rights to the DC Comics characters, and one of the changes they made was changing the name of the Justice League of America to the Super Friends. I guess they considered that a little, to be a little more kid-friendly. But on the show, at least in the Season 1 episode that I've watched, the team referred to themselves as the Justice League. I guess even in Silver Age silly cartoons, the Super Friends, the Call Yourself the Super Friends, even though the the phrase is bandied about, it could be a step a step too far. For those of you who remember, the Filmation cartoons were canceled on a strength of a writing campaign to tone down the violence. That complained about the violence. The violence is this is very much toned down. You'll we're gonna find that there were very few actual bad guys. There are a lot of people who were basically uh, doing things for the wrong reason, doing the right thing for the wrong reason, and in the wrong way. So basically, people that needed to be taught a lesson as to uh, as opposed to people who wanted to outright take over the world. So, Super Friends, the first season, was first aired on ABC on September 8, 1973. And it featured Superman, Batman and Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. They were the core DC heroes, as you heard in the opening sequence. Although you didn't hear Robin, just Batman got his name called out. So they're the core four, not quite seven. Obviously, Superman, Batman, and Robin, and Aquaman and each had uh, previously appeared in their own animated series on Filmation. Voice talent from the... Uh, Filmations were uh, were brought in, with a few exceptions. Marvin Miller replaced Norman Alden as the voice of Aquaman, and Danny 
Danny Dark uh, voiced Superman after the death of Bud Collier in uh, 1969. Batman and Robin were voiced, respectively, by Olin Stoll and Casey Kasem from the Filmation days. In addition to uh, the f- core four, there were a trio of sidekicks bringing the team to seven. These were not comic characters. These were created as especially for the cartoon, featuring Wendy and Marvin, and Wonder Dog. None of which had any special abilities other than uh, to perplex everybody, and uh, except for uh, Wonder Dog had the unexplained ability to uh, reason and to talk, basically uh, by playing a game of charades. They were basically kind of superheroes in training, and, you know, there was something very uh, Scooby-Doo-ish about them. When you watch Marvin and uh, Wonder Dog, they give me a very uh, shaggy and Scooby uh, vibe. Each episode had a basic format. The heroes responded to an emergency detected by the massive trouble alert computer in the Hall of Justice. And this episode, these episodes are the first appearance that I know of of the Hall of Justice. And I remember having that Hall of Justice toy when I was a kid. That was one of my favorites. So that was uh, the headquarters of the team. Colonel Wilcox would kind of act as a government liaison with the uh, Super Friends during emergencies. And uh, conflicts were usually resolved with the antagonists persuaded to adapt more reasonable methods to achieve their goals. Natural disasters triggered by humans or aliens were often shown, and environmental themes featured strongly in the program. This season also features guest appearances by The Flash, Plastic Man, and Green Arrow, and we'll get to those down the line. This first season consists of 16 one-hour episodes. It concluded on August 24, 1974. At this point, the series was canceled, and the network revived Super Friends in 1977. And when the show was revived, these episodes were edited into half-hour versions. I wonder if it was a part one and part two, or if it was just, or if they just cut out a bunch of stuff. I'm probably never going to know that, so there's that. So, the cast. Superman was voiced by Danny Dark. Batman voiced by Olin Sewell, or Sol. Robin was voiced by Casey Kasem. Aquaman was voiced by Norman Alden. And Wonder Woman was voiced by Shannon Farnon. Junior Super Friends included Marvin White. He was voiced by Frank Welker. Wendy Harris was voiced by Sherry Alberoni and Wonder Dog was voiced was voiced by Frank Welker, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, also provided the voice of Scooby Doo at the time. And uh, some other uh, notable guest stars were Colonel Wilcox, who was voiced by John Stevenson. Plastic Man was also voiced by uh, Professor Nor- Norman Alden, and we're going to see him in next week's episode. The Flash was voiced by Ted Knight, and uh, Green Arrow was voiced by Nor- Norman Alden as well. So Norman Alden uh, did a couple, little bit of overtime uh, in addition to his Aquaman work. So, with this being said, I am going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the first episode of Super Friends, The Power Pirate. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. Welcome back, folks. We're going to start with the first episode of Season 1 of Super Friends, 
The Power Pirate. Original broadcast date was September 8th, 1973. Guest cast included Ted Knight as Sir Cedric Cedric and the Power Pirate slash Anthro. Danny Dark was the train engineer. Casey Kasem was Jack. Olin Sewell was Dave. Norman Alden was Joe. Frank Welker was Bill. Ted Knight was the captain. Olin Sewell was the first mate. Casey Kasem was the TV news reporter. And Danny Dark was the speaker. Not really much of a guest cast, more like guest characters. Played by the regular cast. Which is one of the things you could do on a cartoon if you have talented enough uh, voice talent. And... From what I'm guessing is the talent, the voice talent on this show is good enough that, you know, I didn't really recognize uh, everybody's voices uh, as the other characters. You know, it's not like uh, watching, say, Thundercats as an adult when I realized that, no, that was, Mumra wasn't talking to the ancient spirits of evil. He was talking to Panthro, as uh, Earl Hyman, quite obviously, provided the voice for both. On to our synopsis, which is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. So, the trouble alert at the Hall of Justice signals two trains are in danger of colliding in California. After Superman saves them, Aquaman must save a powerless ocean liner, Batman and Robin save workers from a crane, and a powerless dam threatens to cause a flood. At a steam power plant, Wendy notices someone named Sir Cedric has a dry umbrella despite a rainstorm. As power crises spread, she mentions this to the other super friends. They track down the real Sir Cedric at a hospital. He tells them how an alien has taken on his identity. At a new nuclear power plant, the super friends capture the alien. The alien explains he was stealing power because his planet had not enough, had not conserved its energies. We're shutting off your power, Mr. Power Pirate. You're now under the control of my golden lasso. It will force you to tell us the truth. We know you are not Sir Cedric Cedric of Scotland Yard. Please, there's no need for the golden lasso. I am Anthro from the planet of Traum in a far distant galaxy. I've been stealing your energy because my people ignored the warnings of our conservationists and used up the energy resources of our planet we built bigger and more powerful machines. We neglected. And so, that is my story, super friends. Without energy, our planet is doomed. That is why I've been stealing your power and storing it here in my ship until I was ready to depart. And glowing with the power, your ship looked like a full moon. Yes, an excellent nighttime disguise for my purposes. Holy transformers and you used your umbrella to send the power up to your spaceship precisely after first drawing from the source another excellent disguise wouldn't you say but i am truly sorry for what i've done on behalf of my people we had no right batman everyone why don't we let Anthro keep the energy he's taken and... Stealing energy from our planet isn't right, Wendy. Anyway, that won't solve the problem for very long. Anthro, is this the planet of Traum on your monitor? Yes, that is my planet. And this body over here? That is merely our moon. Not merely a moon, Anthro. The new power plant for your planet. A power plant? But how? I will use my superpowers to polish it until it's as smooth as glass. And if it's as smooth as glass, it will reflect the power giving sunlight to Traum. A brilliant idea. Get it, everyone? Sunlight? Brilliant? <laughs> Indeed, it is a brilliant idea. Thank you, all of you. We shall not waste this second chance, and I promise you, we will make good any damage we've caused here on Earth. Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you polish the moon to provide solar energy to a planet that needs it? All right, a couple notes on this episode before I get started. This episode is the pilot of the series, and it uh, first introduced uh, these more lightly toned uh, adventures of the Justice League of America. There were three previous shorts of Justice League of America produced by Filmation in the late 60s. I covered them a few episodes ago. And the Filmation episodes weren't any darker than this, but they just, they had villains that Superman had to fight. And I'm not necessarily sure it had adult content in it, but apparently they had more quote-unquote adult content for the broadcast uh, standards of practices by the 70s. I guess the prudes took over. I guess, for example, uh, real firearms were used in the Filmations, whereas when you saw a gun in Super Friends, 
it would be like a ray gun or something like that. Because a ray gun is far less dangerous than uh, than an actual gun. So, And the characters really won't engage too much in hand-to-hand combat, which is also pretty common in the filmation cartoons, as uh, Superman was seen punching the bad guys quite frequently. And Superman actually kills a villain, as we remember, and he uh, coaxed the parasite into destroying himself. And we're not going to mention the uh, circus animals that Superman let die uh, during uh, one of the Brainiac episodes. The violence in this season was toned down dramatically. The quote-unquote villains weren't really bad guys. They were antagonists. And they served more as characters that needed to be taught some kind of moral lesson. Like Anthro is going to be taught that you shouldn't uh, steal the power from another planet just because your own planet squandered its own. Most of these bad guys are misguided scientists trying to make the world a better place, but, you know, going to extreme methods to do so. Again, doing the right thing in the completely wrong way. So, so let's get started with this episode. And now we start out with some guy on the ski slope. We're going to learn that this is Sir Cedric Cedric. And as soon as we meet Superman, we're going to see some of the lighthearted ridiculous, ridiculousness of this show right off the bat. As uh, Superman is wrestling Marvin, who will come to annoy you, if you're annoyed by it, antics such as his. And while the rest of the league debates whether to save him from Marvin, I wish someone would save me from Marvin. So right here on the opening scene, we're getting a good look at the lightheartedness of the show. So next we find a freight train is under attack by a flying saucer and our skier with an umbrella is hanging around. The train can't make it to uh, up the mountain, but Superman is coming to the rescue and Superman looks far better here than he does in the uh, Filmation cartoons. Uh, Hanna-Barbera is a much uh, better animation house than Filmation could ever hope to be. So right off the bat, this show is showing Superman isn't perfect as he is failing to stop the train on a slippery surface. But, you know, he's thinking and he, uh, as he's trying to rescue one train, he prevents a collision by actually pulling another train out of the way. So I like that it show kind of a double threat, the runaway train and the uh, innocent train that kind of just is getting in the way. Now, you can do things in a cartoon that you can't do in live action. You can probably do it now, but definitely not then. Superman's method of stopping the train was basically raising the tracks to stop the momentum. Showing a great display of Superman's abilities. But, you know, I'm not necessarily sure the physics work here, but whatever. It's a Silver Age DC Comics cartoon. You just kind of go with the, go with it and don't look at the science or the uh, laws of physics that much. But the uh, sequence showed a great display of Superman's uh, multiple abilities. And it took a showing for Superman early on in the series. The uh, junior Super Friends are very much of their time. Whenever Wendy likes an idea, she thinks it's super groovy. Which makes me want to punch whatever screen I'm watching the show on. Just leaving that there. And there are going to be lessons uh, kind of trickled uh, through these episodes. Uh, Batman and Robin is uh, kind of teaching the kids about uh, using their brains. About how you have to think your you know problems through in order to come to uh, the proper solution like Superman did with the train. So the Wonder Kids are now in an invisible plane. You know, kind of just uh, sitting there. Now, I don't actually know if Wendy, Marvin, and uh, Wonder Dog are the Wonder Kids. Or if that's a name, I don't know. I don't know if I picked that name up on the show, or if I just picked it up, just made it up myself based on uh, the name of Wonder Dog. But they are not to be confused with the Wonder Twins, who will appear in later incarnations of this show. Wendy and Marvin at no point smack their fists together and turn into uh, giant paper clips or characters that are worth watching. But uh, you know, I'm sure kids enjoyed their antics. Their kind of slapstick is. Uh, not my thing anymore, but I probably loved it when I was a kid. If I saw these episodes when I was a kid, again, I knew the late 80s stuff more. But if this was in syndication, then I'm sure I watched it. So after they're uh, done goofing off in the Invisible Plane, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are off to save the Queen's ship. And we're going to see that uh, our skier, who we're going to learn is Sir Cedric Cedric, is at the side of this disaster as well. As a pilot episode, it's clear this episode is going to show off all of the Super Friends abilities on the individual level. We've already seen Superman's abilities when he uh, saved the train, and now we're seeing Aquaman's abilities in the scene. The uh, portrayals of Batman and Robin, while not voiced by Adam West and Burt Ward, are very reminiscent to me of the uh, Batman TV show. And I've recently uh, watched uh, the Batman movie from 1966, and that's probably why that portrayal of Batman was on my mind. Now, Batman and Robin kind of swung in and saved the construction worker from a runaway crane, showing off what they're good at. You know, they are our two human characters, so they have to do things uh, a little bit differently. No powers there like Superman or Aquaman and Wonder Woman. And like in other incarnations, when superheroes tell people to do something, they do it. Like, for I've always commented in the George Reeves series that, you know, whenever Superman told the president or something to do something, he did it. So, 
In order to save this ship, Aquaman tells the sailors to drop anchor, and they do. Nowadays, they'd probably want an explanation or go into a committee meeting or something. But nope, time was of the essence. Aquaman says drop anchors, and they do. So I noticed a coloring error when the uh, Super Friends were meeting with Cedric. For a moment, Batman's symbol was reversed, uh, the yellow, a yellow bat on a black oval. And we're going to uh, see coloring errors from time to time on this show. Not perfect. And Cedric says he's investigating the harassment of English ships. Okay, so... I say, I was, I was watching from the jetty, and I saw you signal the captain in semaphore fashion to lower the anchor. I assume, dear young lady, that your friend has anchored the ship to a rock formation on the ocean floor. Magnificent piece of work, my good man. My congratulations. Thank you. Uh, do you have some special interest in the Queen Victoria? A very special interest. I'm Sir Cedric Cedric. Special Inspector, Scotland Yard. On assignment? Precisely. It seems our British ships are being victimized by a power pirate, if you will. Funny. Superman had to save a runaway train that had lost its power. I wonder if there's any connection. Oh, probably just a coincidence. Anyway, let us know if we can be of any help. I say, you already have. Thank you. We're heading back to the city. Can we give you a lift, Sir Cedric? Thanks awfully, but there are a few things I must check on here. Cheerio! Of course, uh, Marvin is going to comment on the accent, and through a uh, game of charades, Wonder Dog explains Cedric is from Scotland Yard. And we got there just as Aquaman kept the Queen Victoria from smashing against the rocks. And that's when Sir Cedric Cedric showed up. Sir Cedric Cedric? Who is he? <coughs> He's a waiter. I knew it as soon as you put that towel on your arm. He's a detective, but he's not a detective. He's an inspector. Bagpipes? Bagpipes! Uh, Scotland. He's an inspector. With Scotland Yard! Thanks to Wonder Dog. But now that I know who Sir Cedric Cedric is, I'd like to know what he was doing there. He was looking for signs of sabotage. Sir Cedric thinks someone is out to get the entire British shipping industry. Maybe he's right. But even if he is, it doesn't explain the runaway train. If there's a connection, which I think there is... I think so too. I wonder if someone is stealing our energy. Maybe we... Super calamities! It's the trouble alert again! It's the dam! There's no power to close the floodgates! This one's mine, everyone! Uh, like what's the address of the dam, Wendy? Hold on, Marvin. I'll contact Wonder Woman. She's still patrolling the skies. That is how the, the Super Friends are going to communicate with Wonder Dog for the most part. He's never going to speak, but he's very good at charades. Next is more trouble. A dam is about to burst. Superman carries the Batmobile, and that saves Batman a ton of gas mileage, which he does comment on. No offense, Batman, but I can get us there faster than your Batmobile. That's okay, Superman. I can get more miles to the gallon this way. Now, Wonder Woman is busy showing her strength by trying to create an earthen dam. So, so far, we've seen Batman and Robin's human abilities. We've seen Superman's strength and vision powers and flight. As he saved the train, we've seen what Aquaman could do in the sea as he got the sea creatures to help him out. And now we've got Wonder Woman's strength here as she's trying to uh, create a dam to uh, stop the flow of the water. And by the way, Cedric and that flying saucer are here as well. So then we get some teamwork as the Super Friends work together. So it was nice to see them all working on an individual basis and then working together to uh, prevent the dam from overflowing and causing some serious damage to a town. <clears throat> so, we're about halfway through the episode when the Super Friends realize that a power pirate is behind us. But this episode isn't boring. We're getting good superhero action, and I'm enjoying it. And apparently Wendy is the only member of the uh, Junior Super Friends with any initiative or a, a functioning brain in her cranium, as uh, Marvin and Wonder Dog just kind of goof off. Like I mentioned before, they're very shaggy and uh, Scooby-Doo. And so far, I'm noticing this show is a lot more visual than the filmations. If you remember, one of my chief complaints about the filmation cartoons was the constant narration and telling the viewer what Superman was doing, either through na narration or di monologue from the character. 
as you saw him doing it on the screen. Here, you'll go a minute or so without any dialogue at all, and all you have to do is watch what the characters are doing, and the story fills you in on everything you want to know just by what you're seeing, such as Wonder Dog, who is looking for whoever's there, and he tracks Sir Cedric into his dark area, and he gets the uh, junior super friend stuck in the vault. And uh, Marvin, you know, tries to run into the wall to get the door open, and uh, he kind of falls on his butt. How do you like that? So, once in a while, Marvin is sensible in that he wants to call for help. His sensibility probably comes from his cowardice. Wendy has much more initiative. She wants to do this uh, on her own. She wants them to do it on their own and, you know, show that they are super friends material. And they're chasing uh, Sir Cedric, who we know is involved because he's been at every disaster. And that flying saucer is there as well. This is where we learn that Sir Cedric is focusing on more than just uh, the ships in the sea. And uh, this is where we learn that the power plant is not sending power where it's supposed to go. And a fun note, uh, this episode mentions uh, Indian Point as a power plant that the uh, power pirate attacked. That's located in uh, Buchanan, New York, just over the river from where I live, about 10 or so miles actually from where I'm sitting right now as the crow flies. Probably a mile, probably a little bit more if I were to drive there. So now we're seeing the effects of the lack of electricity as planes are falling out of the sky and submarines are sinking and we're treated to uh, watching Superman save a plane and Aquaman save a sub. Aquaman's rescue is a little more involved as he can't just catch the plane and set it down. And this show illustrates Aquaman communicating with sea life by showing circular waves emerging from his head. So he will raise the sub with the help of a whale. And here's something interesting. After all of this, in their very first episode, the Super Friends are kind of defeated. Friends, I think we've met our match. We've been outwitted in every attempt to stop these power losses. I think our problem lies in our very super strengths and abilities. Huh? You're right, Superman. We've depended on using our muscles when we should have been using our brains. Far out! Now you're talking about what I already excel in. Brain power. Now, I've got a really cool theory about this whole mess. I'm sure it's nothing, but... Nothing? But I haven't even said what it is. No, Marvin. Not your nothing. My nothing. I was thinking of something that's been puzzling me, but... But what, Wendy? Well, maybe it's really not important, Batman. Tell us, Wendy. Wendy, everything is important. What is it, Wendy? Let's hear it. Well, remember when Marvin and Wonder Dog and I went to the electrical generator plant on that stormy night? Well, I looked up above the plant, and shining through all that lightning and thunder was a full moon. Well, I know it sounds like nothing by itself, everyone, but remember when we told you about catching Sir Cedric Cedric of Scotland Yard by mistake? Yes, Wendy. Well, he was soaking wet from the rain. But when I picked up his umbrella... It was dry. On second thought, Wendy, I agree even more with your first thought. It is nothing. Maybe not, Marvin. Maybe Wendy has stumbled onto something very important. Let's get a scan report from our big eye. Maybe it's picked up something near the trouble spots we've covered. Airborne spherical UFO noted in vicinity of power losses. Looks like you hit on something, Wendy. There must be a connection between the UFO and the power losses. Super groovy. Now, what about Sir Cedric Cedric? We'll check our good guy's international file. I have a feeling, super friends, that there is no Sir Cedric Cedric of Scotland Yard. Holy imposters, Batman. Then you think Sir Cedric Cedric is really the power pirate? Maybe, chum. We'll know in a few seconds. You know, Superman suggests the power pirate is using their powers against them, and... We kind of come back to the earlier idea about using their brains. Just the super friends have to use their abilities in smarter ways in order to stop the power pirate. Wendy has stumbled onto the fact that Cedric may be involved in whatever's going on. And uh, when they want to research who Sir Cedric is, they go to the computer where they have their good guy index, so to speak. That's not the exact terminology that they used on the show, but it's pretty much close. Apparently, they have an index of all the good guys in all the world. And they type his name into the machine. He's listed as being from Scotland Yard. And he's listed as being in the hospital. So there's a weird exchange between Superman and Batman about a doctor's diagnosis, which some of the jokes fall flat. Others are good. Some fall flat. That one fell flat. 
And here is the real Sir Cedric Cedric in the hospital. That's right. I came here on a holiday to get in a bit of skiing at your famous ski valley. And, as you can see, the skiing got a bit of me. Sir Cedric, did anything unusual happen to you before the accident? Well, no, it was the usual stupid thing. I shushed when I should have slalomed. Oh, you mean something strange? Yes, Sir Cedric. Well, no. I can't say that anything did. But the only thing that happened was that I became delirious after I hurt my leg. Delirious? <laughs> well, yes. I remember that I'd propped myself up against a tree after hurting my leg, and suddenly I noticed what appeared to be a spaceship, a strange creature approaching me. <laughs> it was definitely not the ski patrol. I remember that in my delirium I was blinded for a moment, but I had the strangest feeling that this extraterrestrial chap was reading my brain, as if it were a computer feeding him information. Who I was, what I did, the kind of foods I like, the clothes I normally wear, my family history, everything. And then, right before my very eyes, I was staring at myself. He'd fashioned himself into my identical twin. At that moment, the spaceship departed, looking like a small moon. And my newly created twin carried me to the hospital and left me in the emergency room. He says he was delirious when he saw a spaceship, and this is where we learn that the uh, power pirate <clears throat> disguised himself as Sir Cedric, and he brought the injured Sir Cedric, as you recall at the beginning of the episode, Sir Cedric in injured himself on the ski slope, and he brought Sir Cedric to the hospital, so right there we're seeing that the power pirate isn't all bad. He is not necessarily trying to hurt anybody, at least not on purpose. So he made sure that Sir Cedric got the medical care that he needed for his injury after he uh, performed a little bit of identity theft. So Superman is scaring people very awkwardly in this episode. He's got about five people. He's scaring about five people, and they're all sitting on his hands. So I want to know whose butt Superman's hand is on as he's flying and how they're staying. I guess it's some kind of superpower that he's not dropping everybody. So this plant is releasing a lot of power. As uh, Sir Cedric uh, walks away, he uses his umbrella as, in an attempt to steal power and... That's when he's lassoed by Wonder Woman. And as you know, the lasso compels you to tell the truth. So apparently the uh, Power Pirates people use all the energy they can produce on their own planet. And, you know, Wendy kind of wants to get Anthro. That's the Power Pirates alien name off the hook. And Superman is going to polish their moon so it's as smooth, smooth as glass. Basically turning it into a giant solar panel. Or a solar moon, so to speak. Anthro's people are going to go green. And the moral of the story is to uh, use your head and not waste energy. And we get a little bit of that beaten down over our heads as all of a sudden Marvin wants to go home and throw out all the lamps and light fixtures in his house. Now, what do you suppose that's all about? Don't ask me. Me either. Okay, let's split. Where to? To the city dump. Yeah. So we can get rid of all these things that use up energy. We don't want the Earth to end up like the planet of Trome. That's a fine thought, Marvin and Wonder Dog. But we don't have to get rid of everything. We just have to conserve our energy. Like remembering to turn off the TV set when we're not watching it. And by turning off the lights when we leave the room. And by remembering not to leave the record player running. Far out. Did you hear that, Wonder Dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff I tell my kids all the time. I don't know how often I'm telling my daughter, Haley, are you in your room? Turn the light off. Although, I guess a good way to get me to conserve is to uh, charge me exorbitant rates on my electricity. I don't only want to save electricity. I want to keep my electric bill down as well. So, not bad. A nice moral lesson. An okay bad guy. He's not really a villain. Just a guy who wants to save his planet, but he's going about it the wrong way. Kind of like uh, Dr. Heckler, who wanted to restore life to the planet Mega. Although, he, did, he would kidnap people to do it. You know, he didn't realize or care that kidnapping is wrong. I definitely have to get used to these longer episodes. 43 minutes is a lot longer 
than seven minutes or 14 as some of the uh, Superman uh, filmation shorts in the third season. And now that that's over, I feel like I ran a marathon. So I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, get some refreshment, then I'm going to come back with The Baffles Puzzle. Hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You start the officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. All right. Welcome back, folks. We're going to move right ahead into The Baffles Puzzle. Original broadcast date was September 15th, 1973. Guest cast included Casey Kasem as Professor Baffles and Mr. Mergen. John Stevenson was Colonel Wilcox and the American Museum Security Chief. And Shannon Farnan was credited as Woman. And for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Batman and Superman tell Marvin to do his schoolwork in the library. At the library, Marvin and Wendy meet Professor Mergen, and when Wonder Dog starts sneezing the sm- at the smell of almonds, the library's encyclopedias disappear. The Justice League is alerted to a threat by a Professor Baffles to make an exhibit of French lithographs disappear. And we are calling upon you, the Justice League, for assistance. Because if this catastrophe takes place, it will cause serious diplomatic repercussions. Just what catastrophe are you referring to, Colonel? Our government has just received a very disturbing phone call. We put it on tape so you could hear it. Professor Baffles gives warning. The collection of lithographs lent for exhibition by the French government to the American National Museum will be stolen tonight at 8 o'clock. And if you doubt my ability to carry out my plan, check with the Central Library and ask what happened to all their encyclopedias. Did you, did you hear that, Wendy? Shh. That's tonight at the American Museum. Professor Baffles has spoken. Gentlemen, you have heard. Zero hour, eight o'clock tonight. Despite the Super Friends efforts, the lithographs do disappear. And next, Baffles makes a shipment of money disappear when a ransom is not paid by the government. If the door was barred and the porthole was locked, how did Professor Baffles steal the money? He didn't steal it. But it's gone. Yes. But first, let's think of the demand Professor Baffles made of the government. Of course, Superman. I see the direction of your reasoning. You do? Professor Baffles demanded $1 million, otherwise he would make $5 million disappear, right? Right. If he could steal $5 million, why would he be willing to settle for one? Maybe he's a rotten mathematician. He's not a mathematician. He's a chemist. He didn't steal the money. He made it disappear. Professor Baffles knew he couldn't get through a barred door or a locked porthole, but he could shoot a chemical solution or a gas under the door. The chemical dissolved or disintegrated the paper money. The action between the chemical and the subject dissolved creates the almond odor. All right, we know where the money went. Now what we want to do is find Professor Baffles. Wendy has noticed the smell of almonds each time. Wendy and Marvin end up following Morgan and find he is Baffles. You're doing a terrible thing, Professor Baffles. Bringing you ice cream? You know very well what I mean. Stealing encyclopedias from the library. And stealing lithographs from the museum. I didn't steal those things. I simply made them disappear into thin air. Why would you want to do a thing like that? For the good of humanity. Destroying books and art is for the good of humanity? Exactly. When man first appeared on this earth, he was pure and good. Superman and Aquaman and Batman and Wonder Woman are pure and good. Agreed, but nobody else. And you know why? Why? Through example. 
Man became what he has become through the bad example set him by history. Like I don't know what he's talking about, Wonder Dog. Man has become corrupt and treacherous and belligerent and crime-prone. I say it's the fault of history. And you're going to wipe out that history by destroying all the books and paintings and music? Exactly. And give man a chance to start with a clean slate. Is that why you demanded that money from the government? Explain that, Mr. Mergen Professor Baffles. It sounds to me like plain extortion. Not at all. Mr. Dabney and Mr. Darby pointed out to me that we were running short of funds to continue my campaign. Well, if you ask me, Mr. Darby and Mr. Dabney are a couple of crooks. <laughs> Professor, we've wasted enough time. Uh, Mr. Dabney, will you explain to these young people that you want that money for me? Come on, Dabney, lay it on the line. Well, Professor, we figure one hand washes the other. What Dabney means is that since we helped you do what you wanted, it's only fair that you should help us get what we want. Which is one million dollars. Then you are crooks. Obviously. Remember, I, I said it first, Wendy. Right, Wonder Dog? It's too bad, Mr. Mergen, that Mr. Darby and Mr. Dabney don't prefer to work for a living. Gentlemen, I am surprised and disappointed by this. Enough of this job-owning, Professor. We only have two test tubes of the solution left, Professor. If the solution makes things disappear, Professor, how come it doesn't make the test tubes disappear? Glass is one substance that is immune to my solution. You'll skip the chemistry lecture, Professor, and start making more solution. I absolutely refuse to have anything further to do with you two gentlemen. That's telling him, Professor. What? If you know what's good for you, Mr. Dabney and Mr. Darby, you'll let us out of here before our super friends find out about this. <laughs> We're arranging to take care of your super friends. In a little while, they won't be able to help themselves, much less anybody else. Anyway, they have no way of knowing where you are. Like, how wrong can you be? Wonder Dog, the window! <laughs> Get the super friends, go! <laughs> While the crooked assistants hold Mergen, Wendy, and Marvin, Wonder Dog escapes to warn the Super Friends, who are delayed by a series of isolated traps. So, Baffles Puzzle was the second episode of Season 1. It introduced the uh, referring, the recurring character of Colonel Wilcox, who was voiced by John Stevenson, like I mentioned before. This episode also reveals that Wonder Dog is half Bloodhound. It does not tell you what the other half is, and the he must have gotten the bad half of the Bloodhound, because he's not very good at it. We also see the library that Wendy Harris works at, and it's the Nile Library. One interesting thing about this episode was that it was one of the few episodes from season one that featured actual villains. The villains Dabney and Darby and the armored truck robbers. The twist was that they uh, that the so-called primary antagonist of the episode, Professor Baffles, wasn't really a bad guy at all, just a guy who was manipulated by Dabney and Darby. This episode does also have the uh, Blink and Miss cameo by Muhammad Ali. He's seen on a boxing poster in the background. Muhammad Ali has, would later famously appear in an actual DC comic where he is seen boxing against Superman, and that would happen in all-new Collector's Edition number C-56 in April 1978. Another first for Super Friends is Kryptonite, which is shown in this episode. Kryptonite was used a number of times in the Affirmation shows, almost to the point of overuse. However, this was the first time for the Super Friends. This episode will also show Superman in disguise as Clark Kent for the first time in the series. He hadn't been seen as Clark since the Brady Kids in 1972, which was only a year, and this is only the second episode since that appearance, so it's not really that big of a deal. But Clark didn't appear in the last episode, he does appear in this one. And this this episode will start with a great shot of the Hall of Justice, which is based on uh, Cincinnati's Union Station. And the Super Friends are relaxing. Batman, Batman and Robin are shooting pool, and Batman uh, basically uh, hustled, hustled Robin by cleaning out the entire table in one shot. Basically, the Super Friends are bored, and I wonder if there is something in the bylaws that says they must hang around the hall if there's nothing to do. You would think they could, you know, go home and uh, do their stuff. I'm sure uh, something's going on in Metropolis. I'm sure Commissioner Gordon is uh, has plenty of uh, police work for Batman to do since he's incapable of doing it himself. And I'm sure Wonder Woman must have something to do. But nope, they're bored, and they're hanging around. Marvin is looking up photosynthesis. 
And so far, the kids have learned two things. One, don't ask for help when you can look it up yourself. And secondly, photosynthesis starts with a PH and not an F. So, while at the library, a wonder dog sneezes the encyclopedias away, which is a great use of the Super Friends time, as we expect them to get called in. And uh, this is when uh, we get a call from, well, we don't get a call, the Justice League does, from the Secret Department of Investigations. And we're going to meet Colonel Wilcox. And apparently the the great encyclopedia robbery in the library is related to what the colonel is telling them. So they're going to go out and uh, go to the museum and prevent these lithographs from being stolen, or so they think. Batman and Robin are nearly run down by an errant driver, and uh, Batman finds it necessary to uh, chastise Robin for disobeying a stay-off-the-grass sign. I question Batman's priorities in this particular instance, as his team sidekick, or partner, if you like that term better, Nearly got run over and landed on the grass to get out of the way. And what's Batman worried about? Not, Robin, are you unhurt? Robin, get off the grass, that sign tells you to. Really, Batman, would you have obeyed the sign to get out of the way of the car? I think it's a fair question. And so Wonder Woman is checking things out as she can. Batman and Robin are outside. Aquaman's in the river next to the museum. I'm not sure what he's going to do from down there. Maybe catch a boat if they try to get away that way. And Superman is inside as Clark Kent. I'm not sure why Clark Kent has a spit girl, but he does. And this is a pretty good use of Clark Kent, using him to stake out the museum for Superman. So, we learn early on that apparently when the dog sneezes, they're going to have something to do with Professor Baffles' robberies. And apparently uh, the uh, device that he's using will smell like almonds, or create an almond-like smell, and that aggravates Wonder Woman, Wonder Dog's allergy. And after they have failed to prevent the lithographs from being stolen, the one the kids try to... Mention that, and Robin, of all people, just dismisses them out of hand. As impossible as it seems, gentlemen and Wonder Woman, those lithographs were stolen with guards at every door and window. With you, Aquaman, patrolling the river, Wonder Woman, the air, Batman and Robin, the grounds, and with Superman actually inside the museum. Hmm. Obviously, we are dealing with a most inventive criminal mind. Robin, at the museum, Wonder Dog was... The less said about Wonder Dog at the museum, the better for everybody, especially Wonder Dog. But he smelled almonds, there and at the library. We'll talk about it a little later, kids. Right now, we better listen to this. Our problem is to find those lithographs and return them to the museum. But we don't have a clue as to where to start. We might start with this. What is it? It's a note, signed by Professor Baffles. Exactly. It reads, Gentlemen... I have proved my powers at the library. I have proved my powers at the museum. I have proved that it is futile to resist any demands that I make. So, obviously, he's about to make an outlandish demand. A $5 million shipment of new paper money is being shipped to Hawaii by the U.S. Mint. I will appropriate that $5 million unless... Ah, unless what? Unless $1 million in gold is deposited to the credit of Professor Baffles in a numbered account in a Swiss bank. You're not going to do that. Was that you, Wonder Woman? No, Colonel. That was Wendy. She's prone to be impetuous. Well, I like her spirit. No, we are not going to submit to blackmail. You, the Justice League, must protect that shipment. Colonel, that money will get to Hawaii. If it doesn't, gentlemen, your credibility with your government will be in jeopardy. But even more important than that, the people of the country will begin to lose confidence in you. Robin, who's probably no older than the junior Super Friends himself, is shushing them up for having a bad idea. Just just because you get to work with Batman doesn't mean you're right, Robin. And stay off the grass. So, uh, I like that Colonel Wilcox is uh, referring to them as the Justice League and not the Super Friends. And next they're going to go guard some stuff on a boat. And... Apparently their credibility will depend on this. And as Superman goes to the dock, as Clark goes to the dock, we get teased by the possibility of a short rip. But Clark kind of ducks off screen before becoming Superman. Oh, just a footnote, they are guarding ransom money. So after this car chase, Superman will scoop up the car. And this is a great use of uh, Superman. And it's worth uh, seeing the cars chase him. But Superman turns uh, some criminals over to the police. And I'm not even two episodes in, and I really don't care about the Junior Super Friends. They're played mostly for comedy, and the kids probably find them funny. I'm sure I would if I was in the target audience. So, you know, lots of cartoon antics, such as Wonder Dog kind of tripping on a bucket and falling into Aquaman's arms. The Junior Super Friends meet Mr. Morgan, and Wonder Dog is going to sneeze. So there must be almonds in the area. So that tells the eagle-eyed viewer that 
Something is up with Mr. Morgan on this ship, but Mr. Morgan doesn't have much time for them. So, we're on the boat now. Superman uses his X-ray vision to discover the money is gone. And Batman has this ingenious idea that we need to investigate. Really. Pull those back contraptions, and this is what Batman comes up with. <sighs> I guess showing them investigating is not very interesting on screen. We need Batman to tell us it's going to happen. So, Wendy is investigating too, and she's, you know, she's using her brains here. You know, a lot of episode one was about thinking things through, and she's, uh... Think of things through when she's kind of outsmarting Mr. Mergen here. Well, I guess there's nothing for us to do. There's one thing to do. Make sure that money is in the strong room. Nothing there. Nothing? The money is gone. I suggest we investigate. But Mr. Mergen's such a sweet guy. How can he turn sour? How can Mr. Mergen, who claims he's a rock expert, say a Brazilian agate is a lovely bird? It's not lovely? Not only is it not lovely, it's not a bird. It's a rock. Speaking of Brazilian agates, there goes Mr. Mergen. He said he was going to his cabin, but he's leaving the ship. I sure hope you know what you're doing, Wendy. Like maybe we're following the wrong lead. How come Wonder Dog began to sneeze when we ran into Mr. Mergen? Because he's allergic to almonds, that's why. I didn't smell any almonds on Mr. Morgan. That's because you're not a dog. A dog can pick up a scent that the human nose can't. Right, Wonder Dog? <laughs> so that tips Wendy off that something is wrong with Mr. Morgan. And, uh, oh, and Marvin is also going to get schooled about how much better dog sense of smell is than humans. So, like I said, Superman discovers the money is gone, and the almond smell is in the hole where the money disappeared from. So after chastising the kids for talking about almonds before, now Robin makes the connection to almonds, and now they have all kinds of time for the junior super friends. You must be mistaken, Superman. Nobody could get into the strong room. Superman is never mistaken, sir. Impossible. The porthole is locked. Nobody could enter this way either. Am I mistaken, or do I detect the odor of almonds? You definitely are not mistaken. Holy nosebuds! Wendy and Marvin mentioned almonds. Pertaining to what, Robin? The museum robbery and the disappearance of the books at the library. In each case, the kids said they smelled almonds. Obviously, then, Professor Baffles only baffles where almonds linger in the air. But to me, it's more likely that whatever he is doing, whatever device he's using to make stuff disappear is what creates the almond after order. It may not necessarily be almonds, but it smells like it, and that, and that aggravates one of the dog's allergy. While they are determining what happened to the money, there is one shot where the bat symbol is missing from Batman's chest. <laughs> it's pretty funny, and worse yet, it's pretty much the whole scene. So Batman goes this whole scene with no emblem on his chest, as if it had just the stitching had just fallen off. But it didn't. Some poor animator just for this one scene forgot to draw it. Or maybe didn't know how to draw it. Who knows? So, they've talked this through, the Super Friends have, and they know where the money is. I wish somebody could fill in for me, because I watched that whole scene, and I have no idea where the money is. And we're going to learn in the next scene that Mr. Morgan is Professor Baffles, and he's basically at the mercy of these two guys, uh, Dabney and Darby. These are our villains for the episode, and they're actual honest-to-God villains. We all think Mr. Professor Baffles is the main villain, but he is just being manipulated by these two uh, big guys who should not cause nearly as much trouble for the Justice League and or Super Friends as they are. Just saying. So now we're hearing that Professor Baffles wants $5 million or he'll go after the libraries. So Professor Baffles has an interesting uh, MO here. He's getting rid of art and books for the good of mankind because he believes art and books are creating a bad example for humanity. Granted, I am the uh, first people to admit that people suck, but I'm not getting rid of books and music. Only one regime that. And there are plenty plenty determined to make sure a regime like that doesn't happen again. Music, arts, even TV in my opinion, books, they're all vital parts of society. They're part of our culture and no, you can't get rid of those things just because you don't like the content. You find the content you like that speaks to you, whatever it is, and you read that or watch that or you take it to heart, whatever you need to do with it. But you it's dishonest in a way to destroy any kind of art, in my opinion. It it helps no one and it serves no one. This is what Baffles believes and no one's really talking him out of it. So 
Dabney and Darby want a million dollars, and Baffles is disappointed, so like the note says, Dabney and Darby are, crim- and Darby are criminals, but Morgan is manipulated. But he is suddenly growing a backbone. And I like that the kids can bring out the good in Baffles. You know, children have a tendency of doing that. And even when I'm in a bad mood or something, either one of my kids can instantly bring me out of it. Maybe not all kids have that ability, but sometimes kids can make adult problems seem awfully silly. Now we're going to get a ridiculously slapstick moment where one the dog and the crooks. He gets stuck on a window, Marvin rolls out a chair and knocks the criminals down. It's all in an effort to get one the dog out of the uh, little factory here so we can go warn the super friends. And then one the dog goes through Darby's legs. Just uh, a very big slapstick moment. And now we're going to get more charades with Wonder Dog, and uh, he gets the message through, and the Super Friends are on the case. And Darby and Dabney have left a puzzle for the Super Friends, and that splits them up. And meanwhile, we're back at an amusement park. And this reminds me of the Filmation cartoons in a way, as we always found ourselves back at circuses or amusement parks. But these criminals are still having a hell of a time at everyone else's expense, believe you me. So in an attempt to escape, Marvin tries to crash through a wall. Maybe he'll kill him, eventually kill himself before he get, I get too annoyed with him. So what I don't like here is that all the super friends fell into a trap. These two muscle-bound idiots had traps for all four core super, super friend members. I'm just not buying it that these two guys can have the ingenuity to do this. It must be Professor Baffles' help. Superman is stuck in a hot air balloon uh, overcome by kryptonite. Aquaman was wrapped up by wires or something trying to rescue a ship that was sinking. Batman and Robin are stuck in a cave-in, and uh, Wonder Woman is stuck in the Andes. And the Junior Super Friends are going to show that they're not as ridiculously inept as I originally thought. At least Wendy isn't. And she's going to use uh, some of the solution in uh, Morgan's pocket to melt the bars of the cage that they're in. I'm not sure why she didn't think to do that sooner, nor can I really come to any reason why Dabney and Darby wouldn't pat the professor down before putting him in the cage, but he makes the bars disappear and out they go. And Wilco- next we see Wilcox giving the money to the crooks, and he does it without ever seeing them. So now here comes a car, and it seems to be chasing Marvin and the professor. Aquaman is saved by the sea life, who unpin him from the sub. The kryptonite just falls out of the balloon, and Superman comes to, and he gets Wonder Woman out of a hole with a tree. She basically, Wonder Woman basically fell into this little hole. Like For those of you who remember the, ep- the Adventures of Superman episode, where Jimmy and Lois were kind of lowered into this deep hole to lure Superman into a tra- into a kryptonite trap. Wonder Woman is kind of stuck in something similar. Although, the kryptonite trap for Superman had already passed. He grabs a tree, lowers it down, and she grabs a hold of it, and, it, and he pulls her up via a tree. Again, something you can only do in a cartoon, but it demonstrates uh, Wonder Woman's strength. The problem with the physics is, if Wonder Woman grabbed this as hard as she would probably need to to be brought up, She'd probably shout out what she was holding and fall back into the uh, storage bin, but she didn't. So now they're off to rescue Superman and Batman. <laughs> Superman is moving the boulders by hand. You would think he'd have just busted through to make life a whole lot easier on himself. Now, I mentioned this before. I'm having a hard time believing these two guys are getting the best of the league, but they are. And Wendy is the only one with any faith in the Super Friends to rescue them. She's clearly the smartest of the uh, junior members, and she's using the uh, disappearing formula to create smoke and that kind of catches Wonder Dog's attention. So with most of their plan foiled, Darby and Dabney are leaving. The Super Friends show up, surround them, and take them to jail. And in this final scene, Mergen makes me look like a cheery optimist. I still feel that man has made the world a terrible place to live. There may be a lot of things wrong with the world, but there are a lot of wonderful things in it too. And no one man can make the decision on how to change things. I suppose you're right, Superman. If I hadn't been so blinded by my crusade, those two evil men, Dabney and Darby, couldn't have used me. Talking about evil, me and Wonder Dog got to go out and save another lost American scientist. Right, Wonder Dog? (laughs) What's the matter, Wonder Dog? Headache? Well, like maybe we'll let the rescue work go until tomorrow. That is one smart wonder dog. <laughs> I mean, he just thinks humans are terrible and don't deserve anything. I might think human beings are terrible, but I'm not going to get rid of the arts and sciences over it. Those might be the one thing that end up saving us. That's it for that episode. And I tell you, I don't know what it is, 
But I'm tired by the time these 43-minute episodes end. You can probably tell these stories in 22 minutes and not test the kid's attention span for an entire hour. I'm going to be honest, these episodes are testing my attention span, and I like to think I have a pretty good one. You know, I've sat through Batman v Superman without stopping, so I can handle hours-long programming. But I don't know. The, uh, you can, I'm sure there's a lot, there's enough in here you could cut down to make a 22-minute episode out of this. These stories probably don't need to be 43 minutes, but they are, so I'm going to keep looking at them. And next time, I'm going to look at Professor Goodfellow's Geek, G-E-E-C, and The Weathermaker. Until then, uh, you can send feedback to the show at manascreen at gmail.com. I want to let you know that feedback is always welcome. I don't get enough of it, and I'd love to read more listener feedback on the on the show. There's got to be more of you out there than just Dave McElvenny. You can also join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed, and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And if you have time, please uh, review the show on iTunes. That'll help others find the show. So... Until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. 